wealth, our part and God's part. And uh, there can be a lot of problems when you try to do God's part or you expect him to do your part, okay? So we're going to get these things clear. And so it's going to be kind of two sessions, uh, both of them kind of brief. So let's look at God's part first. How many of you guys have ever heard of the blessing of Abraham? Everyone heard that described? Abraham was an awesome guy in the Bible, and it, um, he became wealthy not because of his hard work or because of his brilliance or because of his amazing character. If you remember, he had like a lying problem. Like he wasn't like the most perfect guy in the world. The reason he was blessed is because of God's goodness came to him, and before Abraham did anything good, God says, I want to bless you. I want to cause everything that you put your hand to to prosper. So here's what the blessing of Abraham is. The blessing of Abraham is not wealth. The blessing of Abraham is that God's presence was in his life, and whatever Abraham put his hand to, God caused it to prosper. I've got some good news. It's not just for Abraham, but we're going to get to that here in a second, okay? Um, The same is true of us. I I want you to get this so deep in your heart today that your prosperity is not up to your financial wizardry, to your wise investments, although we want wise investments. We want all that. The cause of your wealth is either going to be you or it's going to be God. You're going to have to choose this morning which one it's going to be, because if it's you, God bless you, man, good luck. You'd better be perfect. You'd better better do some really great things. But if it's up to God, then the pressure's off. I'm not saying we just sit in our living rooms and wait for checks to come in the mail. We're going to get to that when we come to our part. But you're going to have to figure out, who is the cause of my wealth? Is it up to me, or is it up to God? Okay? So Abraham, he... Uh, God is just blessing this guy's socks off. They, just things are coming into his life, and he has his nephew Lot living with him, and they are so blessed that they are not able to occupy the same part of land. It's like there are just so many herds and crops growing, and so Abraham goes to his nephew Lot and says, hey, um, obviously this isn't working out. God's just blessing us so much, we're going to have to separate. So Lot, he takes Lot up on top of a hill, and he says, which land do you want? Do you want the well-watered land, or do you want the desert land? I think Lot kind of did a little thing. <laughs> I think I'm going to do the well-watered land, not surprisingly, right? You have to understand, in those days, they didn't have, like, feed stores. You know, they didn't have, like, irrigation. So it was a really big deal whether or not your crops thrived or your, you know, your herds were well-fed, depended on the kind of land that you lived on. Abraham was so certain that God was the cause of his wealth that he went, and he ended up prospering more in the desert land than Lot did in the well-watered land. What's going on? God was a source of his wealth, and he recognized it. A little bit later, um, Lot was living in a land uh, of, of Sodom, and a, a wicked king came and kicked butt on five different cities. So Lot gets taken into captivity. These other five kings, they get sacked. All of their wealth is taken. And Abraham takes his personal guards, 318. So you can just see, I mean, actually, they were the, um, the servants of his quarters, 318 servants. So he had some wealth. How many of you guys realize that? He takes these 318 guys. I'm picturing like, like the chef, like the guy who mows his lawn. Like these are the guys that he arms for battle. Apparently they were like he employed ninjas or something. He goes and he opens a can of whip tail on this king so bad, he takes back all of the captives of the five cities, all of the wealth of the five cities, and comes back. And so the, the king's like, listen. Listen, we just want our people back. You can keep all the wealth. Abraham says something interesting. I mean, if, listen, gang. If a king said, you can have the wealth of Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Dayton, and Powell, you'd be like, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, right? You'd be doing the happy dance up there. I don't know what that was. I, did. I think I pulled something. <laughs> Not Abraham. Here's what Abraham says in Genesis 14, 22. Actually, he was Abram, but he hadn't had his name changed yet. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you'll say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods of my allies. And he names these different cities. Abraham refused for there to be any other explanation for the blessing on his life, not because he had an MBA. Listen, MBAs are great, but if you're trusting in your MBA, then you are the source of your wealth. Do you see the difference here? Where did this confidence come from? Well, it came back in Genesis 12 where he said, I will bless you and I will make your name great. 
I'm sure Abram put, Abraham put uh, time into maintaining his flocks. He stewarded. Obviously, he had lots of different people over lots of different areas. He did some things to steward the wealth that came into him. But he saw, him, he saw God as the source of that wealth being attracted into his life. I know some of you are thinking, man, that Abraham is so lucky that he has a God who provided for him. If only I had a promise from God that he desired to bless me. Man, if only God had told me that he was my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. If only he had realized, he had, uh, uh, had made himself known to me as El Shaddai, the God of infinite supply. If only. I hope you can like, detect some sarcasm in there. We spent the whole first session looking at God's promises that he desires to bless you, that all these blessings would come upon you and overtake you. Those same promises to Abraham, I want, I want, I've got some good news for you today. You are being put in the same situation that Abraham is, where you can decide whether or not to believe that it's God who desires to bless you. We're going to get to some of the how-tos at a later point. Guys, this is the 80% of the iceberg that's submerged underwater is these heart issues for the believer. Unbelievers, it's law of the jungle. they got a whole different system out there. But for the believer, I'm telling you, it's these heart issues. When you get to Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3, you see that the blessing of Abraham is upon all of his children by faith. So how do we get this blessing? By earning it? By being good? No, no. By faith. We're going to get to what faith looks like when we look at our part. Until you recognize God is the source of your wealth, nothing else the Bible says about finances is going to work. I'm going to say that again in case you thought I was kidding. Until you recognize God as the source of your wealth, nothing else the Bible says about finances is going to work. Let me just give you a little picture here. God not changing. He's not getting old. He's not getting stronger. He's not getting weaker. God does not change. Money is neutral. It takes on the character of whoever is the owner of that money. The only thing that can change in this equation is you. Your heart, your beliefs, your skills, the kind of value you bring to the marketplace. Things we'll talk about at a later time, but I want you to get this thing. God has already said, I want to bless you. I want to be the God of more than enough in your life. And for us to make that happen, the only thing that can change is you and me. Our mindsets and some skills and some things like that. Let me just summarize it like this. As long as you're holding on to your money with a clenched fist and hoarding possessions, God's method of prosperity will not work for you. If It's up to me. I've got to hoard it. Get all I can, can all I get, and sit on the can. If that's your attitude. Let me just make it real simple. Wealth is attracted, not pursued. Wealth is attracted, not pursued. The kingdom attracts what the world pursues. So I was praying about this one time, and I saw myself holding this giant magnet. Can you see it? It's one of those giant U-shaped magnets. It's red with the silver tips. You guys can see this, right? This is how kingdom wealth works. When it's pointed away from me, it attracts. When you turn a magnet towards you, it repels. That's how wealth works in the kingdom. Well, hold on, Jim. If the priority of my finances isn't on me, who's going to take care of me? That's the question this morning. Who is going to take care of you? Is it going to be you? You're the source of your wealth. You're going to have to worry about it. You're going to have to figure out the stocks. Is Bitcoin going to go up or Bitcoin going to go down? I wish they'd come up with like a bat coin, like a superhero coin, but I'd invest in that. Or is God going to be the source of your wealth? The source of your wisdom, the source of your creativity, the source of employing. Hey, he's giving you a heart for things you're going to put money towards. And as you put money towards it, there's actually something weird that happens. It opens up the supernatural realm of your finances so that more comes back into your life. Like, Jim, it's not working for me. Listen, gang, we're all growing in this thing. We're taking steps together. I want a people that every week we're going through this and we're taking a step forward together. When we get to the end of this, we'll be different kinds of people. Wealth is attracted, not pursued. Listen to some, uh, I'm going to read you some verses that really flesh this out. Just let these wash over you. Okay, there, I'm going to give you a lot of them. You can maybe just write down the references. They'll be over here. But uh, just, man, just let these feed your heart. Proverbs 23, 5. No, oh, oh, yeah, this is what this means. Okay. Wealth is attracted, not pursued. But in the kingdom, when you begin to pursue wealth, it grows wings and flies away. Has anyone experienced this? Like, you kind of get worried about money. You start thinking, i got to do this, and it's all of a sudden, there's a bill that hits. 
And it's like one step forward, oh, we finally got something to save us. Oh, it just got wiped out. Oh, now I got to use the credit card. Has anyone else ever had that happen? Okay. Someone that could be a desert season where the Lord is testing you to trust in him. The desert is the time of not enough or just barely enough. If you can't trust God in the desert with no distractions, you're never going to be able to have the faith during the abundance when you're slaying giants and taking down walled cities to have that trust. So here's what Proverbs says. No sooner do you start counting your wealth that it sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle in the sky. Here today, gone tomorrow. You're to pursue presence. You're not to pursue prosperity. Okay, when you pursue prosperity, it grows wings and flies away. We're going to make this real simple. We're going to go from the panic button to the easy button today. Can you guys see the two buttons? One's red. The other one's like a glowing rainbow going, ah, yes. Press me. And it's just like the massage starts happening in your spirit. Throughout the New Testament, we see uh, wealth is attracted, not pursued. Listen to Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What's our part? Seek first. What's God's part? And all these things will be given to you and well. What's happening? When the magnet is facing out, things are attracted. 2 Corinthians 9.8. I love this first phrase. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. This is a grace for finances. We've looked at this another week. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's the message of Proverbs when it comes to finances, real simply. Pursue wisdom, don't pursue money. But as you pursue wisdom, wealth will be attracted into your life. That's, that's pretty much the message of Proverbs on finances. So let me read you a couple. Proverbs 3.16. Wisdom extends to you long life in one hand and wealth and promotion in the other. Just Guys, this is the Bible. Like I'm not making this up. Just enjoy it. Proverbs 8.18, unending, unending wealth and glory comes to those who discover where I dwell. The riches of righteousness and a long, satisfying life will be given to them. Proverbs 8.21, those who love me gain great wealth and a glorious inheritance, and I fill their life with treasures. What is our part? Love him. What's his part? Treasures. Uh, Proverbs 10.6, the lover of God is enriched beyond belief. Proverbs 10.21, true enrichment comes from the blessing of the Lord with rest and contentment and knowing that it all comes from him. Are you guys seeing a pattern here? I mean, this is awesome. Oh, this one's good. Proverbs 13.21, calamity chases the sin chaser, but prosperity pursues the God lover. God bless you, Brian Simmons, for the Passion Translation. Proverbs 22.4, laying down your life in tender surrender before the Lord will bring life, prosperity, and honor as your reward. Proverbs 28.14, guard your life carefully and be tender to God, and you will experience his blessings. So here's the picture. Don't pursue money, pursue wisdom. But as I pursue wisdom, wealth is attracted into my life as a reward. But if I turn my eyes to the reward, I lose not only the wisdom, but I lose the wealth as well. God is not punishing you for that. He's protecting you. If you violate the seek first uh, the kingdom of God in your life, you're going to attract a devourer into your life that you are not equipped to defeat. God does not want to reward the heart condition that seeks something other than him. Wealth is attracted. It's not pursued. And this morning, we have got to decide whether or not we believe it whether or not you are the source of your wealth or whether or not God is the cause of prosperity in your life. There's other people in the Bible where we see it was actually God who caused people to prosper. I'm not saying everybody who prospers, God is the source of it. But for the believer, this is how it works. Genesis 26, 12, and 13. This is Abraham's son, Isaac. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. I believe God is looking for some people that can explore each one of those realms. Rich, richer, extremely wealthy. In a way that we can use it to affect cities and not to just pad our bank accounts. Genesis 39.2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. What was the source of his prosperity? It's the same as the blessing of Abraham. God was with him in whatever he did. 
2 Samuel 6.11, the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. So the ark of the covenant, this guy took it in. It was a whole big mess with David. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. It became so obvious to other people that they're like, what is going on? Oh, you know what? You remember what the Ark of the Covenant was? It was the presence of God in his midst. Before, no, without presence of God, just a normal guy. With presence of God, blessed so that an entire city, and even King David said, oh, I've got to go and get the Ark and bring it back if that's what's going on. God came to Solomon in a dream, and he had such a tender heart that God came to him and said, I'll give you whatever you want in the dream. Can you imagine having the kind of character that you would actually trust your answer of yourself in the dream? So God comes to him and says, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon says, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to rule these people. I want a hearing ear. And God says, hey, because you didn't ask for, um, what, I'm going to read it for you. First Chronicles 11, 1, 11, and 12. I don't think I said that wrong. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and not even asked for long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king, then here's the result. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you and none after you shall be like this. God was the cause of his wealth. I've told this story before, but my first week at Zion, I was feeling, so this is back in August 2008, I'm feeling the pressure. I'd never been a senior pastor before, and we had walked into a group of people who were very prophetic. God had already been doing amazing things, and I was feeling a little bit intimidated, like it was up to me to make something awesome happen, you know? And so I drink a lot of water, and so we used to have offices before the children's ministry took over the entire church. Good problems, hashtag good problems. And so, uh, so you know, I'm, I'm, I walk down the hallway here, and I'm going to the bathroom. And as I hit the door of the bathroom, I have an open vision, except I didn't realize it. As I have an open vision. I'm standing there, and in the vision, I'm taken to the beginning of the hallway. Oh, by the way, the lights were off in real life. And so I'm taken to the beginning of the, beginning of the dark hallway, and these hands come with these golden glasses. And they put these golden glasses on me, and I can see everything super clear. And in the open vision, I walk, and when I reach myself, the vision ends. And so me being the spiritual giant, I was like, hmm, that's weird. And so I just totally brushed it off. <laughs> You're like, hold on, you had an open vision, you didn't realize it? Yes, that's actually what I'm saying. Pray for me. <laughs> and so, you know, about two hours later, drinking more water, same thing. I go to the bathroom, so I'm walking from my office down the hallway. The hallway's still dark. And when I get to the door, same thing happens, open vision. I see myself at the beginning of the hallway, golden glasses come, place on me, can see everything clearly. Walking, when I get to myself... The, the vision ends. And so this time I thought, hmm, maybe there's, <laughs> maybe there's something to this thing. And so I'm like, God, what does that mean? And he says, as long as you follow me, I'll show you what to do. The pressure is off. And he told me to go read Mark chapter 4. So here's, what, here's in Mark 4, chapter 4. I want to tell you, this is the nature of how the kingdom of God works. This is going to be such good news. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus is telling a parable, and he says, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed in the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, For the harvest time has come. The farmer did his part. He put a seed in the ground. The rest was up to God. The farmer could not make it grow by worrying about it, by, you know, marching around it, declaring over things over it, right? His part was to put the seed in the ground. God's part was to cause it to increase and grow. Here's the nature of the kingdom. You can't make it happen. You can leave the results and the outcome to God. We work hard as a way to co-labor with him, but we are not trusting in our hard work. We're trusting in the fact that promotion comes from the Lord. This should be setting a couple people free here. Until you believe that it is God who causes you to prosper, you will run around like an orphan trying to make something happen. I'm going to say it again, in case you thought I was kidding. Until you believe that it is God who caused you to prosper, you will run around like an orphan trying to make something happen. 
here's what the kingdom of God is like. This, is, this sounds like one of Jesus' parables, right? The kingdom of God is like power steering. You act, but the car is controlled by a power and a mechanism outside of your own strength. Literally, you're just taking your hands and doing this. That's your part. But the power and the mechanism comes, it turns a 4,000, 5,000-pound car, depending on what you got, that uh, the results are way disproportional to your effort. That's the kingdom of God. Our part is, is, is believe. His part is make all this stuff happen. And if we believe it's our part to make all this stuff happen, well, I got to schmooze, I got to do this, I got to drop some hints and I need some money, I got to do all these things, and I better worry about money, I better think about it, I better stay up all night, I bet God will be honored by my stomach acid and this ulcer that I'm developing, and da 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 da. No, his part is worry about it. That's why the Bible says, cast your cares on him. His part, worry about it. He's not worried. He can take it. He's, God has never bit his fingernails down to the nub. He's never taken a Valium. You and I can't make it happen. We leave the outcomes to God. Trust in the Lord with just a little bit, and he'll honor that little bit. No, no, no. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge in him, and he will make your path straight. Our part, trust. We have to decide today, because I'm telling you, if you have 10% trust in yourself, it won't work. 10% trust in yourself is called self-effort. It's not called faith. Mustard seed size faith just sees him and says, yeah, that's amazing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. We're going to do an exercise together. I want this thing broken off of us. I want us to just see God as the source. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn and face the back of the room. Now take out your wallet. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you are watching this by video, um, you, you can turn around and face the back of the room. If you're driving, please keep driving if you're listening to this, okay? I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read you something from the book of Revelation, and then it's an exercise from Stephen De Silva's book, Money and the Prosperous Soul. So this is from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Close your eyes and just let this picture wash over you, and I think this is going to be good. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is Stephen De Silva's part. The river of God is a picture of abundant life, supernatural provision, and prosperity. Everything good you will need or desire can be found in it. It runs through the middle of the street, giving full access to everyone. All you need to do is learn to get in its flow. Imagine you're standing in the river, but you're facing downstream, away from the throne of God. But behind you, God is placing good things into the river for you. Yet because of your position, you remain a spectator, watching good things float past you just out of reach. Try to envision what some of those good things might be. Now speak this prayer out loud. Father God, I am standing in the crystal river of heaven that flows from your throne. You fill this river with good things. But because I am facing downstream, good things flow away from me. They are just beyond my reach. Too hard to catch. Lord Jesus, I want to turn. I want to see your throne. I want to see your provision. I turn around in Jesus' name. Now physically turn around. Face the opposite direction. You guys ready for this? Say that, pray this prayer. Thank you, God, that I am facing upstream. I can envision the throne of God. 
I can envision the lamb. Good things are coming to me. The good things are everywhere. There's more than I can contain. There's an abundance here for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to take a moment. I want you to imagine what it looks like and sounds and smells and feels and tastes like to stand in the flow of this river's immeasurable abundance. There is no limitation. There is no lack. God places good things in this river for you and everyone connected to you. These good things flow towards you and they're easy to catch. The new position you are in creates a new paradigm of expectations. Facing the source of abundance, it drives away the fear, insecurity, and powerlessness you previously felt as you watched good things pass you by. But from this new view, you expect good things. You expect that every need will be met at the right time. You expect that nothing will be impossible. You know that everything in your Father's kingdom is yours. Open your eyes. Wealth is attracted. It's not pursued. And you know that you're facing the throne if. It's like one of those Jeff Foxworthy things, right? Like, um, you know, you might be a redneck if. You know, possum is the other white meat. (laughs) You know you're facing the throne if. You're full of expectation of God's goodness invading your situation. That's how you know. You may be seated. The second part is quicker. We saw God's part in kingdom wealth is to cause wealth to come into your life, that wealth is attracted to you. I want to look at our part. Our part is to stay in the river facing the throne. Some of you don't believe me. We'll get there. The Bible calls it faith. But here's what the Bible says about faith. Faith without actions is dead. So you, it's not the actions that make it faith, but if there's faith, it will lead to actions. If there's fire in the fireplace, there'll be smoke in the chimney. The fire in the fireplace is faith. The smoke in the chimney is that there's actions to it. Sometimes faith for finances looks like co-laboring with him to create wealth. We're going to look at that over in a two-week period. We're going to look at that. Um, Sometimes it looks like stewarding resources for increase. That'll be a whole other session. Sometimes it looks like partnering with him and giving. That'll be another session. But for today, sometimes faith looks like seeking God. Here is kingdom wealth in four words for your part. You guys ready for this? Seek God and prosper. We're going to make this really simple from the panic button to the easy button. The easy button is you are to be completely preoccupied with God. (laughs) And as you do that, wealth will be attracted into your life. And as this wealth comes in your life, you will be a good steward and you will multiply it and increase it. You will be able to send it uh, to accomplish kingdom purposes. You will have some of it to enjoy for you and your family and leave an inheritance for your children's children. But your job is not to try to make it come. Your job is to seek God, to co-labor with him, to get wisdom and strategies. And it's this beautiful partnership of you walking this adventure out together. You get to do the fun stuff, and he gets to do the heavy lifting. And when this stuff comes in, you get to do that part with him of stewarding the finances. When you hear the word steward, don't think of stingy Grinch. Think of, I'm putting it at risk for increase and watching God do his thing. Doesn't that sound better? It's just not as easy to say as steward. When I say steward, just translate that in your mind. What was that? Like a kia, like a, like a karate thing or something from like a little kid that was beautiful. I think I like that better than amen. Kia! (laughs) I like that. Uh, Why did it sound better when she said it than when I just said it from the microphone? I don't know what that says about me. Kingdom in four words, seek God and prosper. Just feast on this for a second, Psalm 34.10. Those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I mean, you could spend a day on that one and that would be a good day. God prospers you, and uh, our job, seeking him looks like facing upstream, facing the throne room. Seeking keeps you facing towards the throne. And like I said, you know you are facing the throne room when you're filled with expectation and expecting God's goodness to invade your situation. 
When I say seeking God, seeking God is not just how we get into the kingdom. It's the lifestyle once you are inside the kingdom. Okay? Seeking God looks like this. Has anyone in here ever lost the remote control? Anybody done this? I mean, that is like DEFCON 1 or 5, whichever one's like the really important one. It's like, what, how can this happen? Like our whole house shuts down. And what do you do? You look for it everywhere. Okay? That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God is you're looking for it everywhere. As I'm not looking for it because he's hiding. It's filled with expectation. I'm not, you know, I'm not waiting for this Old Testament visitor to, you know, if I'm good, to come into my situation. He already came in and said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so every situation you go in, look for me there. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? He's in there somewhere. And so it's like, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in this situation? Do you see how every moment is an opportunity to enjoy with him? I, just, just a quick freebie here. For me, the quickest way into the kingdom is just thankfulness. If I just submit to my heart to that situation, I'm just like, wow, you're amazing. And I can just begin to feel that increase. I can begin to feel that expectation happening. So New Testament seeking is full of expectation and wonder. I can't wait to see what he's going to do in this situation. Here's how it works in the kingdom of God. What we do in the natural has an effect on the unseen realm. And the way we know something's happening in the unseen realm is it has an effect on the seen realm. They affect each other. In Malachi 3, when they brought the whole tithe into the storehouse, it opened up the windows of heaven over their life. The seen realm affected the unseen realm. In Luke 16, when they were faithful with the use of money, he said, now I'm going to trust you with the true riches of heaven. Can you see this happening? When you do something with money, it actually affects the unseen realm. And when the unseen realm is opening up, it actually affects the seen realm. Money is the kindergarten of the spiritual life. Like, we, we, none of us are after money. In case you haven't figured this out, this series really isn't about money. It's about the kingdom of God, and money is just a litmus test for where your heart is. And when your heart is right, then everything that your heart longs for in your destiny begins to have all the resources come into it. Seek vision, not provision. Intimacy will lead to increase. Because you've got to trust that God is the one who's able to do it. Or you're going to have to trust in yourself. God bless you. Throughout Scripture, there's this unusual connection between the visible and the invisible. Here's the new covenant in one verse, 3 John verse 2. Beloved. Just let that one wash over you. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Two manifestations of God prospering you on the inside is that you will have health and that you will have wealth. What are the two things that have been fought against the most in the past 30 years? Healing and finances. Health and wealth. I mean, people have made fun of it. They've despised it. We've already talked about that. Prosperity is a condition of your soul. So is poverty. A poverty soul only has this lens that only sees meager possibilities. A prosperous soul sees nothing but increase. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The prosperous soul says, Whatever situation when I'm in, even if it's difficult, I'm going to win. I will know nothing but increase. One step forward, two step back. That's the talking of the world. It's not the talking of the kingdom. Even when it looks like something dies, it goes into the ground and dies so that it can be fruitful. You see what I'm saying? It's a completely different perspective. Even when something looks dead, it's just sitting there incubating, waiting for an increase. Prosperity is an internal reality. It's the condition of your soul, not your wallet. But in the kingdom, when you begin to prosper internally, it will affect the seen realm, show up in your health and in your finances. We see this concept in Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, That's the unseen realm. And all these things will be added to you. It causes something to happen in the visible world. Let's enter in the Passion Translation because everything sounds better in the Passion Translation. Matthew 6.33. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. 
When you put God first, he will assume responsibility for all of your needs. We seek him, the unseen realm, the visible realm takes care of itself. Let me put it this way. Prosperity is a byproduct of seeking God. It's never the goal. Let's say that I treat my wife a little bit extra nice because I want something from her. Let's just say I want physical intimacy, and so I'm being nice. How many of you know that's not being nice, that's being manipulative? You know, if you start doing things to get God to bless you, that's called works. It's trying to use God as a genie bot. A lot of people have used their giving over years. Well, if I do this, then God promised he'd do this. And that's just rubbing the genie bottle. That's, that's really just manipulation. It's not faith and worship. We're going to get to all this stuff at a later time. But how many of you also know that if I had pure motives and began to pursue my wife and to protect her heart and to serve her, that the physical intimacy would come? Are we doing okay here? Can we talk about money and sex in the church? Are we okay? (laughs) I'm so sorry that my children are here for that illustration. I apologize to you. (laughs) But that's how you were made, okay? All right. We're editing that one from the recording. Thank you. Okay, it got hot in here. We have to change the way we think about money and prosperity. Listen to how Paul encouraged them in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So he can pay the bills, so he can, you know, put a retirement account again? He says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I mean, do you see how like, the kingdom looks completely different at money? He said, work hard so that you're going to have money to give to those in need. Well, if I do that, who's going to take care of me? Father. Jim, this doesn't make any sense. It's an upside-down kingdom, gang. We've got to anchor our hearts in, the, in an invisible realm. The natural way of thinking is, if I start putting God and others first, who's going to take care of me? When I say natural way of thinking, that's assuming that only there's this natural realm and there is no invisible kingdom. And I can slip into this. I'm not pointing fingers here. This is where finances are a matter of faith. There's a lot of formulas in finances in, in the world, and, and formulas are good, and, but they're not good for the kingdom. You can't say, I do this, God does this. It's this relationship. It's this co-laboring. He's always up to something good, and it can look different every time. Principles are great, but principles without the prince is more like witchcraft than it is the kingdom of God. Tell me what I need to do. Here's the five principles to increase. That's great, because if you're not doing them in tender surrender to this loving father that you believe it has more wonderful things for you than you can ever imagine, then it's manipulation. I'm going to do this. God's going to do this. It's not the kingdom, gang. I'm going to close with this thought. We're going to do an exercise together. I remember when I was little, my parents used to love having people over. We had a, a big basement with a pool table and a ping pong table. And so they used to let me kind of be like the bartender. We would have, like, you know, different sodas and stuff like that. And so I thought I was big stuff. I was like 12 years old, and um, I was a little bit of a card back then. had a little bit of a smart mouth. So I had a lot of fun with the adults and stuff. And so we're, they were just having fun, and then mom and dad would say, Jim, it's time for you to go to bed. And I'd be up there in my bedroom, and I could hear, like, the laughter and the partying and the ping pong, and it was just too much. I felt like I was missing out on all the fun. And so I would sneak out, and um, I'm sure they probably saw me, but I would try to, like, come down the steps and, like, get behind the couch. You know, I just, it's like, if I was just in the room, I could be part of the fun. I'm saying, and there was many times I got caught, and I was like, all right, you know, go back upstairs, and sometimes they didn't catch me, man, I mean, I probably wasn't that good, but I found out that it was worth the risk. It was worth the risk just to be in the room where all the partying was happening, okay? We have a father who has brought a kingdom into this realm, and he likens it to a party. There's several parables. He's like, the kingdom of God is like a party, and I'm telling you, it is worth the risks to get involved in what he's doing. There's a place in the Bible where Jesus, he's getting ready to walk past the disciples. They're in a storm. They're in a mess. He's getting passed right by their boat. It says he didn't even intend on stopping their boat. It's like, man, that seems kind of cruel. What's going on there? It was the cry of desperation that got Jesus into their boat. Jesus is not being cruel. Some promises are so big that they require character in order to handle the, the weight of the promise. And it's the seeking, it's the pursuing, it's breaking out of the complacency. Sunday morning, 
you know, hopefully it gets out early. We go home. That was a good message. That was a funny story. And you forget all about it. And you know, maybe, you know, chapter day keeps the devil away. And you get into this routine. If you treated your marriage relationship like that, things are going to get cold and distant. They're not going to be growing. It doesn't work with God either. Seeking, pressing in, taking hold of these promises, stirring them up, keeping them before me, making sure that I'm facing the throne room, that actually prepares me to become the kind of person who can carry the weight of that promise without it crushing my life. Some promises are so big they require a character in order to walk them out. Because God's not just trying to give you answers to prayer. He's trying to help you become the kind of person who is that answer. So you can break off the bread of your life and feed other people. The contending is what transforms you. The contending is what changes you. It's walking the floors and saying, God, I must have more at any cost. I don't care. You can take any part of my life and you can do whatever you want to because you're way better than I can imagine. I can't live knowing that there's a potential blessing, that there's a party going on out there. I have to be part of it. God, these promises, they can't just be for the Old Testament believers. There has to be a group of people. I dream of the church being set ablaze with these things that says, God, I've got to have these promises because we've got to see our city changed. We've got to do it before Reading. I didn't say that. It's the heart that says, I can't sit in the bedroom hearing all these grown-ups having all the fun, all these other people. I just can't handle it. God, I've got to be part of it. And I believe the issue of this moment is completely an issue of stewardship. We don't seek prosperity. We seek God instead because we know God wants to bless us. We don't have to convince him. He's trying to convince us. We're pursuing presence, not prosperity. Increase is a byproduct of intimacy. Here's just one more way to say it. Seek a rich life with God before a rich wallet. Then all else that flows will be from him. So here's what I want to do. I want us to, just, I want us to take just five minutes and practice seeking the Lord. I'm learning this from a friend, a process of, uh, of how to seek the Lord, what it looks like in finances. And so let me just describe it to you. Sometimes seeking looks like asking, seeking, and knocking. Okay? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Um, we did a whole session, the first session, showing you that God desires to bless you. 90% of the battle is just believing that he's good, <laughs> that he already said yes. The other 10% is just staying facing that direction. You guys see what I'm saying? So we need to stop praying the doubting God prayers that say, you know, you know, that, you know oh God, you know, please do this, please do this. Okay, I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm talking about prayers that say, God, I know you became poor, so that I could be prosperous and generous. And if I'm not seeing the answer, it's not your fault. You've already supplied. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes I like to start off with thankfulness and praise. This kind of turns your receiver on. I'm talking about radical thankfulness and praise. Like when you're not seeing it, I'm tapping into that realm, and I'm seeing, God, this is what you made available. Even though I'm not tasting it yet, Lord, I begin to thank him. I begin to see it. I'm turning my receiver on in the spirit. I'm telling you how to seek. We're going to do this here in just a second. You can praise God in faith saying, God, I don't know why I'm not seeing it, but I know you're not the problem. No one can take better care of me than you. I just want to praise you for being so faithful and good. Even though I'm in debt and I don't have much to give, it's not your fault. You have nothing but good things for me. I thank you that your desire for me is to prosper, to be in health, even as my soul prospers. You see what I'm talking about? You're thanking God for these things, not fake it till you make it. I'm anchoring my heart in the promises and the realm of another world. So say this with me. Prosperity is not my idea. Prosperity is God's idea. I'm not trying to convince him. He's trying to convince me. So that's kind of how I like to do it. I like to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Now you're ready to ask, seek, and knock. Your receiver is turned on. I may be giving you a little bit of a formula, so um, adjust it as needed. Okay, these are all scriptures, and uh, I'm enjoying this process. So, um, ask, seek, and knock. So some people are like, well, hold on. Isn't it like a lack of faith to keep on asking? Well, it depends on what the Holy Spirit's doing. There's times you can ask, and you know you've given it to him, and it's done. 
You don't need to ask anymore. There's other times where there's a process of asking, seeking, and knocking that's shaping you to become the person who carries the answer. So I can't give you a formula for that one. You're just going to have to, with the Holy Spirit, know whether or not I'm supposed to keep beating this door down with, with my asking because he already put the answer on the other side. He wants you to become the kind of person through the seeking. So I'm enjoying the Lord. It's not a formula. It's not a bribe. I'm asking. I'm seeking. I'm knowing that he's desiring to give. And if that's not working, um, then what I'll do is I'll add a promise to a promise. And so this can be twisted so easily. So just please hear the heart of it is I'm praying. I'm asking. Nothing's working. I'll add a promise to a promise. There's a promise in the Bible that says, if you will sow generously, you will reap generously. And there's been times in Mary and I's life where we are not getting the breakthrough, and we just feel led. This is a time to step into this kingdom realm. Sowing and reaping is one of the most powerful principles of Scripture, and it's also one of the most abused. I mean, it's been turned into, I've got this debt-canceling anointing, and if you'll sow into my ministry, you'll get out of debt. Okay? And, you know, just lots of craziness. I do believe people can carry a debt-canceling anointing. I question it if the way that you access it is to give to them. I like how Bill Johnson did it. He, I believe God has given him that. But he, he takes up an offering for the poor, not for himself. Okay, see the difference there? So there's this principle that when I give, God has created the kingdom like this fertile soil. And when I put a seed into it, something happens. If I don't put a seed into it, nothing happens. And so, and so part of my seeking is I'm enjoying him. I'm praying this promise. I'm going to teach you how to do that in just one second. If it's not working, I'll add a promise to a promise. I'll sow. And if it's still not working, I'll fast. Fasting changes me. It doesn't change God. When Jesus said this kind comes out by prayer and fasting, he wasn't talking about a specific demon. He was talking about the unbelief of the disciples. And so fasting, I have not found any success in fasting for more than two, maybe three things. Sometimes you're like, I'm going to go on a fast, and you got like ten things, and it's just it's really hard to just steward those things. And so I'm just giving you a process. Remember, God's part, add the wealth. Our part is to seek, to stay facing the throne. And this is what it looks like sometimes, is taking one of those promises and walking the floors with it. And you walk the floor and you pray until you hear a declaration. You don't just grab a promise and start praying it, but you're praying it until you hear kind of a yes. You hear it where it turns into a declaration and you can begin to speak it with faith. You know the difference between just speaking out a promise that sounds good and then when faith comes on that thing and it's actually real. And if that's not working, I'll sow a seed. And if that's not working, I'll fast. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. Everybody stand up. We are going to take three minutes for this. And you are going to begin with thanks and praise for who he is, what he's already done. And I'm going to give you a promise. I think we're going to put it up there. Beloved. Oh, there's the instructions right there. We'll keep the instructions down there. Oh, no, I got the promise right there. Yeah, there's the promise. Um, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. What I want you to do is you're going to, uh, I want you to walk the floors. I don't know how we're going to do it with all these people. You may be like bumper cars in here, and there's probably a better way to do it. But I want you to, I want us to take three minutes, and I want you to just, with that thankfulness, if things are the opposite of what you believe, begin to thank him for his heart and what he has for you. I want you to take that promise, Lord, I thank you that I'm your beloved, that above all things that you want me to prosper and be in health. You see what I'm saying? You take it until it becomes a declaration, and you begin to speak that thing out. Now, we're not going to have you sow, and we're not going to have you fast. I just wanted you to get a picture of what it looks like to radically maintain your focus towards the throne. Are we good? Okay, I've got three minutes on the clock. If Maybe if we could have a little traveling music, uh, that would be good. Three minutes are on the clock, and so there's the instructions. Walk around, stay in your seat, march in place, whatever you got to do. I'll see you in three minutes, and we'll close out.
All right, just find somebody, put your hand on them. Lord, I th- just pray this over them. Lord, I thank you that they will lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Lord, I thank you that they are your beloved. That you desire for them to prosper and to be in health, even as their soul prospers. So we just declare you are our source. You are the one who causes our wealth. The pressure is off. (laughs) The pressure is off. Mm. Lord, I just thank you that this week we're going to stay facing your throne. We can see those good things coming to us. Lord, I just thank you that what we do in this realm affects the unseen realm. Thank you, Lord. I bless you guys in the name of Jesus. I will try not to do...